We are continuing in Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. And I had had some of the ages wrong. Back when we were in Genesis chapter 15, I had assumed during that fourth appearance in Genesis chapter 15 that he would be like 85 or 90 years old at that time. He wasn't. He was still about 76. There were four appearances in Abram's life, four appearances of God to him in his first year there in the land. And then there went 23 years with no appearances from God until Genesis chapter 17. And so at this point, it says in Genesis chapter 17 that he's 99 years old. And we read, we read through verse 21 last time of Genesis chapter 20, Genesis chapter 17. We'll pick it up at verse 21 of Genesis chapter 17. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. So he promises that he's going, that Sarah, this is the first chapter where Sarah is, is designated as the one who's going to have this child. 23 years earlier, he told Abram that there would be offspring coming to him. And he told him that it was even going to be offspring coming from his own body. In other words, it wasn't going to be an adopted child through someone born in his home. But now he even brings Sarah into this blessing. And in verse 22, when he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all the servants who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day as God had said to him. Now Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the very same day, Abraham was circumcised and Ishmael, his son, also all the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with the money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. This is exactly what God had told him to do earlier on in this chapter, in verse, in verse 11 and 12 and 13, saying, every male among you, so circumcision was only for males, what was unusual about this was it was to be on the eighth day. Circumcision wasn't, was, was, a, was a practice that was already practiced among several different people groups. But this was on the eighth day, and, and it was to be everyone in your house, everyone you own. So he brought them into the community of faith. So God commands this to Abraham when he's 99 years old. And Abraham goes to his family, and Abraham goes to his son, and goes to his family and says, all the men are to be circumcised now. Now, it's not easy for a man to go to his family and to go to other grown men and you say, well, how, how, how big is this entourage? Well, remember, back in, 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 uh, way back in chapter, in chapter, uh, um, 15, in, in chapter 15, it, it, it talks about the number of people here. Actually, in chapter, uh, chapter 14, it says the trained men in chapter 14, verse, uh, um, it talks about in verse 14 of chapter 14 that he had 318 trained fighting men. So he had 318 trained fighting men. So think that, that there were at least a third of the people, a third of the males were probably too young, a third of the males were probably too old, others of the males weren't trained. He had 318 trained fighting men in his, 
in his group by this point. And that was, that was back in chapter 14. So now 23 years later, so you figure 318 trained men, the number of males was at least a thousand. There's a female statistically for every male, so you had 2,000 back in chapter 14, 23 years earlier. So how many people are in his group right now? Must be thousands. And he comes to them and he says, every male is going to be circumcised. Now how could he do that? I mean, a lot of men would be like, no way. This is no way. I mean, I'm glad God spoke to you, but he didn't speak to me. I didn't hear this thing. This, this, is, this is just not going to happen, okay, Abraham? I'm glad you got a new name, but this is just not going to happen. What is it with a man that he could speak this word and all the men, thousands of men, are going to submit to this? Now, generally you do this to a boy who's eight days old and they don't argue much. They just scream, but they don't argue much. How do you do this? And his son Ishmael is 13. And it says, says Abraham circumcised him. Abraham's 99. Ishmael's 13. You try to catch a 13-year-old in their element. Remember, this is his neighborhood. 13-year-olds are like lightning fast. And they can turn on a dime. And, and I remember trying to chase little kids in my home sometimes, and I'd have socks on, and I'd, I'd just, you know, trip. I mean, little kids can turn on a dime. And, and at 13, they're just like, catch me, catch me. I mean, it's so hard to catch them. And can you imagine Abraham saying, let me circumcise you. It, it'll be all right. <laughs> no problem. Ishmael. Ishmael's going to have to submit to this. But all the trained fighting men in his home, too. What is it about a man that he has that type of authority that men will willingly submit to circumcision? What is it? This man had such trust from the people that were in his party. And you say, well, he owned all these men. So he, he didn't own them all. He didn't own them all. I remember when my, when my father-in-law, when my, one of my daughters was about two years old, the other was, was uh, about four years old, my father-in-law said to me, he was visiting, and, and uh, he said, Jim, I see you're a very busy guy. You're working. You've got a lot of things going. I see you pray with your kids at night before you put them to bed but you're really going to need to have a morning time with them, a family time to teach them the Word of God. He says, they're going to grow up very quickly and you're going to have to have a concerted time with them. And from that day, I committed to doing that. So I leave my house at six in the morning every day. And, and uh, so that meant that I had to get them up at 5.30. And so I started getting up my kids at 5.30. And I remember when I told my wife, I said, you, you know... At least I had, it was her father that had told me to do this. I had him on my side. And, and, uh, but she rode along with me in this. Now, the kids were really a little too young to argue too much. I mean, you know, at four and two, you, you, you know, the, the amount that they can argue isn't much. And so I would pick them up physically from their beds and bring them out to the, to the family room, and we started having family devotions. And we continued that practice till the youngest of them, 
At that point, we had we went on from had two children to having four children till the youngest of them left for college. I did it with them all the way through high school, and uh, woke them up at 5:30 in the morning. And and uh, and when they were young little kids, I'd carry them all down. When they got bigger, you know, one would go on my back, and I'd carry the others. And then after a while, I just couldn't carry them anymore. And and uh, just the youngest guy would hang on to my back, and the others would have to walk on down. And we did this. Day after day, we had a family devotion time. It's not easy sometimes to get your family to go along with you. But when they see you're serious about God, they tend to follow. Now, they, don't, they may not follow immediately. I can remember there were some days that, that we got home later than we would have liked, and Shereen said, just, just let everybody sleep in. I said, no, I, I just can't do it. I've got to keep this regular. Or else they're just, we're just going to want to sleep in all the time. And sometimes, you, you know, don't, don't tell her I told you this, but sometimes Shireen wouldn't join us because she was like, no, it's just, just... Well, I'd get the kids, and I'd have it with the kids. And then Shireen would hear us having our quiet time with the kids, and she'd feel ashamed of herself, and she'd get up out of bed and, and come and join us. And so... And I remember even when the... the, the, the the two boys were born, when they were newborns, I would pick them up out of their crib. The first day they came home, pick them up. She'd be like, just let them sleep. They're just newborn babies. I said, no, we've got to get in. And I'd just pick them up and, and, and bring them out and they, we'd be in family devotion. Now, they'd be in my arm, a little kid, they're asleep, but they'd, they'd be with us for family devotions. And we'd participate and we'd memorize verses together. And I remember that when they were real little, the first verse they had to learn, all I would say is I would say, the Lord is my, and all they had to say was shepherd. And I'd say, the Lord is my, and they'd say, shepherd. And I'd say, good. I said, that is so good. You learned that whole verse. And they turned to the other kids and said, look at them. They learned the whole verse. How come you haven't learned that chapter yet? And, and, uh, you, you just, you, you, you garner this respect from your family. If you want to seek the Lord, you have to bring them along with you. But it doesn't come overnight. If you've never sought the Lord before and you try to say, we're going to start getting up at 5.30 in the morning, they'd be like, no way. No way. But you do it. And I had always been getting up early and having my own devotional time. But now I had to do it for my family. Think of what kind of respect they had for this man, Abraham, that this man at the age of 99 is going to say, I saw God. And God told me, we're going to do this. These men must have had tremendous respect for him. It's not easy to follow the Lord. And some of the hardest people to bring along with you at times are your own family. Because, you know, with students, I can say, you ought to do this. You just ought to do it. I mean, what, what, what's the matter with you? Do you trust God or don't you? Try to say that to your wife. I mean, she'd be like, I mean, you, you, you got you to fight on your hands. It's not easy to bring your family along with you. But trust is earned when they see your devotion to God. You seek the Lord. You do that. And then after a while, they'll follow along. Trust is earned. It's not just something, trust me, I'm a doctor. Trust me. No, it's something that's earned. You earn it. They had tremendous respect for this man. 
Now let's read chapter 18, reading from verse 1. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran and he entered and he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, my Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your, to wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go since you have visited your servant. And they said, so do as you have said. So Abram hurried into the tent to Sarah and he said, quickly prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to his servants. And he hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them. And he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, there in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Okay, so this is now, so, so there, there's, there's a period now that it had said in, in chapter 17 in, in verse, in verse um, 22, and he, when he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. So God spoke to him in chapter 17 after 23 years of not hearing it, God spoke to him. Now, within a period of less than three months since the last appearance of God, God appears to him again. So the fifth appearance, between the fourth and the fifth appearance, it was 23 years. And now there's less than three months. You say, why less than three months? Because she hadn't yet conceived and she's about to conceive. And she's going to be, and, and the baby's going to be born at that season next year. It takes about three months to heal from a circumcision. And it says that, that, that uh, uh, now the Lord appeared to him by the Oaks of Mamre. Remember, that's where, where Abraham was living, by the Oaks of Mamre, which are, are so this is, this is Jerusalem right here. And just here's Hebron. And so this scale bar, this scale bar right here is 20 miles. So, so less than 20 miles. This is about, about 10 or 15 miles between, between Jerusalem, about 15 miles between Jerusalem and Hebron. You can go to Hebron today and see, see where, where, uh, uh, Abraham hung out, where they think he hung out. But what they absolutely know is they know where that land is that, that they buried that Abraham bought the land to bury his wife and where all the patriarchs are born and, and, and are, are, are buried and their wives, except um, for, for uh, uh, Rachel because she was, remember, she, had, she was born just a, she was buried just a little bit north of that um, and it may well be because she was an idol worshiper. And so, so uh, this is, it was these Oaks of Mamre, which is right near Hebron. And, and this is, this is where he was at that point. And remember, he, he had, uh, uh, we, we had, we had seen his three Amorite colleagues where they, they gave him this territory to hang out. He still didn't own any land at this point, even though God had promised it all to him. He didn't own any land at that point, nor did he assume because God promised it to him, it was automatically his. The little bit of land that he got, he bought. And, and, uh, uh, so, 
he appears to him. He's sitting there under a tree by the oaks of Mamre. And it doesn't say three men were walking by. It says that that he was sitting by the door of his tent, which means that he was still a nomad. He still didn't have a house. He still didn't have a, a city. You know, you have several thousand people living in tents. They still did not build. And you say, well, why didn't they build? Because people built with rocks there. It's not like in Houston. There's rocks everywhere, everywhere. I mean, you just, you can't walk without stepping over a hundred rocks. So why not build some little, because they were, God still hadn't had him build anything. So if you feel like, why doesn't God just give me a home? Here I am living in it. Well, just remember, it, it, here it is now, now 24 years in, and he's still living in a tent. So if you've got something better than a tent, then you've got something better than Abraham had, right? Uh, and Jesus didn't have anything. Jesus said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So you've got a lot more than what Jesus had. God, you know, God never promises us a house. He never does. Jesus said, the, the, the birds of the air have nests, the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He never promises us a house. But, but uh, uh, he says in ver- it says in verse 2, when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, there were three men were standing opposite him. Three men were standing opposite him. So he just looked up and there were three men standing up. He didn't see them approaching. They were just standing opposite him. We don't know how far. But he recognized something different about these three men. And in fact, one of these three men, it is believed, was a physical manifestation of the Lord himself. An a, a incarnate, a pre-incarnate Jesus, manifestation of Jesus himself. And Jews would never say that. So Jews say, no, these were three angels Although the reference here is that when, when he speaks to them of Lord, he's, this word is Adonai, it's the plural of Adonai, so Adonai, this plural word for God. And this person, one of these three, like in verse 10 says, I will surely return to you at this time next year. Behold, Sarah, your wife will have a son. I will do this. He's speaking about how I will do this. And then again in, 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 uh, in chapter 21, when Isaac is born, in verse 1 it says, Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. And in, in verse 2, So Sarah received, conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. So it was God had spoken, and it was in verse 10 of, of chapter 18 that it's God speaking to him. And the reason, of course, that the Jews don't want to say that God appeared in the flesh is because then it, it, makes, it makes this argument against God coming in the flesh and Jesus more, more, more elaborate for them to have a better argument. But in any case, these three men are standing there opposite him, and he runs and he says, and it says that he bows down to the earth to them. He bows down to the earth. And generally, when a man would bow down to an angel, an angel would say, just get up. And, and, uh, uh, and he would be picked up. But here, he never says, get up. So again, again, it's, uh, it, it's suggestive that one of these three is the Lord. And he says, my Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet. And rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread. Just a piece. Bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, me go on since you visited your servant. And they said, go do as you have said. 
Now, remember, it's not like they had been on a long journey. We don't know how long they had been walking. All we know, boom, they're appearing before him. He didn't see them coming from a long way off. They're just standing opposite him. Three men. Abraham runs and he bows down. And he says, please refresh yourself in my home. Look at the hospitality of Abraham. Look at this hospitality. He says, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest under the trees. This is a nice tree. If you go to the Middle East and you're standing outside talking to somebody, the, the person who lives in the Middle East will always say, let's move in the shade. They'll move in the shade. They'll go under a tree. They'll go under... It's only in the U.S. that they stay out in the blazing sun and they have a conversation. And they, and they do this because, you, you know, they like the sunbathing. Most people don't like to, you know... You know just become almost naked and lay out in the sun. Most people do just the opposite in every other part of the world. And, and so they, he invites them to come underneath the shade of this tree. And he says, rest here. And he says, I'll bring a little piece of bread. I'll bring a piece of bread for you. Just a piece. And refresh yourselves. And so they said, okay. Well, he goes overboard. Look at the hospitality. So Abram hurried. So this is a 99-year-old guy. He's hurrying. <laughs> hurried to the tent to Sarah, and he says, quickly, prepare a measure of fine flour and knead it, three, three measures of fine flour and knead it and make bread. So he, he's just like me. When I say, come over to my house, we, we, we prepare lunch for you. I do nothing. Shireen does it. He says, let me, let me bring this for you. And then he goes, Sarah, get this. I mean, he just, just defers to his wife because he knows she can pull it off. I mean, poor Abraham, what does he know? He's never cooked anything bread before. And, and uh, so he runs in and he tells Sarah, and he, and he says, quickly prepare three measures of fine flour. This is enough for ten men. He's got three visitors. He's making enough bread for ten. Remember, he said, let me bring a piece of bread. Just huge. It's not a piece of old, stale bread left over from yesterday. He says, you make them fresh bread. I mean, we got these visitors here, and they are amazing. He's making them fresh bread. It says, Abraham also ran. I mean, here's a guy, 99. Now, granted, he lives to be 175, so the old 99 is the new 40. But he, he ran. He ran. And, and it says, he ran to the herd and he took a tender choice calf and he gave it to the servant and hurried to prepare it. So he gave it to the servant. He said, get this thing made. He never promised them food. They had never agreed to this. But how long does it take to take a calf, kill it, gut it out, skin it, Cook it. I mean, you're talking at least, at least an hour and a half. Remember, because they didn't have ovens like we have that can, you know, just really bring up the temperature. I mean, so it takes some time. We're talking at least an hour and a half, probably two hours. People had a different sort of mindset in those days. And, but you see the hospitality that's poured out here. And it says, and it says in verse eight, and he took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared. So there's also curds and milk and the calf. And he placed it before them. And he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. So which was the custom in that time. The, the, the man in charge wouldn't even eat. He'd let the guests eat. He'd just stand there and let them eat. It wasn't to fill his own face. He was just going to bless them. And I'll tell you, I see this in my own wife. My wife is the greatest gift of hospitality of anyone I've ever seen. She's amazing. We just had a whole house full of women yesterday for a birthday party for a friend of hers, a 40th birthday party. And she got the silverware. She got dishes. She got stuff from Mrs. Harrison's silverware and all of this stuff. And 
for 30 ladies to come over and have tea and food and, you know, just this big thing. And then she's going to have the house open today for another gathering. And how does she do this? I don't know how she does. Any other woman would be pulling her hair out. But she has this gift. And I see this. She'll say, come over at home. Just have a little bite to eat. And you come in. It's like this huge spread. Three different, you, you know, cuisines of food. This is not, you know, come over for a, you know, an, a slice of American cheese on Wonder Bread sort of thing. Not at all. Not in our home. Shireen will never do that. You see the same sort of hospitality. And, and, and uh, uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, it says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. And so it urges us to learn how to show hospita- hospitality. And I'm not telling you become like Shireen. Again, she has a gift. There's very few women that can do what she does. I don't know how she does it. All I, all I do is, 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 is pay for it, you know. But, but she pulls this thing off all the time. I don't know how she does it. But you have to be hospitable. And I was in, this was impressed upon me when I was an undergrad because I saw what my pastor would do. And then when I went off to graduate school, I would take my little graduate dormitory room and, and I would invite guys into my room and I'd serve them little treats, little chocolates or stuff and hot chocolate. And I did what I could to be hospitable because I was on a mission. I was on a mission to show them the love of Christ. We must be driven on a mission to show the love of Christ. Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. May you catch this fire that we are obliged to be kind. We are obliged to be gracious and hospitable. This guy went overboard. He cooked way more food. You come into my home and I'm like, oh, Shereen, we got so much food. There's always a ton more food. There's twice as much food as people who come. Always. And I went, why do you do this? She said, because I want to send them away with something. And so there's a lot of students who don't live in the colleges and get all the food they want to eat. And so she wants to send them away with a plate of food. She wants to send away food for these young families to be able to feed their family on a Sunday night and have leftovers also for Monday. She wants to do this. So she buys way more. Where did she get this idea? Well, what about this guy? I mean, he's cooking like for 10 people. You know, now if he had had the gift that Shireen has, these three guys wouldn't have left without, you know, a Tupperware thing of of, of extra food to take with them. She would have insisted that they take something with them. This is hospitality. This is Christian service. This is what we are obliged to do. It's no longer about me and my life anymore. Once you come into the body of Christ, it's no longer about us as individuals. It's about others. It's a total self-donation, one for the other. This is exactly what Jesus has demonstrated on the cross. Self-donation, one for the other. My life is for the other. My resources are for the other. It's for others. It's not about me. It's not about all about me and what's good for me. It's for others. It's for others. And when you live like that, you get so much more showered upon you in blessing. You get all sorts of blessings. This is what they're talking about. I want to follow up on one last point here. And that is in, in verse 3. Verse 3, and it says, My Lord, and, and actually, this, this, this term, my Lord, in, in verse 3, this is this Adonai. This is this, this 
Jehovah, this, this, this reverence sort of name. My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Abraham recognized something about these people, and one in particular, who he's going to end up having a longer dialogue with. He invited these men in his home. What was the result of these men coming in his home? The result was, one of them said, you're going to have a baby at this season next year. You think he got a blessing out of that invitation? When, whenever there's a man of God comes to visit the town or the church, Shireen will always try to get them into our home for a meal. Always. Please come to our home. And when they are in our home, and after they've had a good meal, she'll say to them, would you pray for our family? Pray for our family. She is going to extract a blessing out of that man of God. She's going to do it. And it's not just men of God. You get a great woman of God coming through. It's the same thing. And then she'll ask them, will you pray for our family? And this is why we have that little room above our garage. We never rented the thing out, ever. That is there predominantly for missionary people coming through. People of God. She wants to bless them. She wants to give them that, that little room like Elisha had. She wants to have a place for them. Because it brings blessing down on the home. You see what she's doing. She's bringing blessing upon her home, blessing upon her husband, blessing upon her children. That's the way she does it. That's what hospitality does. Abraham says, if I found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Abraham goes to great lengths to have God come into his home. Abraham goes to great lengths to have God spend time in his home. Seeking the Lord takes work. Seeking the Lord demands that we wake up early in the morning to have set time to seek the Lord. It doesn't come by just sleeping in. Well, God will just come at some time. No, seeking the Lord comes by something like this. Seeking the Lord comes with it. There's an expense in seeking the Lord. It means that I can't sleep in like other people sleep. It means that I have to devote time differently than other people do. Please do not pass your servant by. You see how important this was to Abraham. Don't pass your servant by. This time with you, Lord, is precious to me. This time is precious to me. There's three men standing. Abraham looks up and he doesn't go, get moving, no trespassing, be on your way, or I'm, I'm kind of busy. Don't, don't you see I'm hanging out here? I need rest. No man. You know? Look at my age. Respect my age. No man, you can't expect much from me. You want some water, go over there. There's a hose around the corner there. You can take a drink out of the hose. No. It's important that you give the Lord your best time. Please, Lord, do not pass your servant by. When the Lord recognizes that we want time with Him, that we go and we sacrifice of ourselves, of our time, of, of our, 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 the things that we have, when we sacrifice this for Him. He sees that. He sees the sacrifice. And you know what He does? He's looking around. He's there in your home spending time with you. So let's see, what can I do to bless you today? You know, does your wife need a baby? Okay, I, I, I can take care of that. You know, this is what He does. He brings blessing on your home. Turn to, uh, turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We're going to read... At verse 21, John, John chapter 14, verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, 
is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Jesus said, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And said, he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and I will disclose myself to him. There's a relationship here that comes in the keeping of the commandments of God. Please, Lord, do not pass your servant by. Please, Lord, visit me each morning as I spend time with you in my home. Visit me each morning. Let your blessing fall upon this home. Let your blessing fall upon my wife, upon my children. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him in verse 22 of John chapter 14, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. So Judas said, You mean you distinguish between people? Some people you disclose yourself to and others you don't? Jesus said, that's right. And let me tell you how you get me disclosing myself to you. You show love to me. Oh, okay. Well, how do I show love to you? Do I say hallelujah five times? No. Here's how you show love to me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He will keep my word. If you wake up in the morning and find yourself in the Word of God, spending time meditating on the Word of God, this is the only way you can keep it. You cannot keep the Word of God if you don't know it. You have to spend time in it and you have to say, Lord, do this in my life. And the Word of God catches us all the time. We read it and we go, "Uh uh-oh, I haven't been doing that. I need to change my life. I need to change my life. He'll put a little stick in your heart and say, remember you said such and such to a person. You need to deal with that. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. What's the result of that? My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. When you are a believer, the Holy Spirit enters your heart. You can also have Jesus and His Father making their abode with you if you will keep His Word. We will come to Him. That means Jesus and His Father. He's speaking here of His Father. He says, My Father will love Him. We will come to Him. Who's the we? Jesus and His Father. We will come to Him. Don't trouble yourself. You're right there having your time with the Lord. We're coming to you. We're coming to you. We will come to Him and we will make our abode with Him. We will just come right into His life to make abode the friendliness of God. Come under my tree. Come in front of my tent. Let me cook for you. Let me have bread for you. Let me have a calf for you. Let me feed you. And God's not going to come and just eat and run. He's going to say, we have to do something for this guy. He gave us a great meal. What can we do? Oh, yeah, his wife's kind of barren. It's... The angel's probably, but she's 90 years old. God says, no problem. I take care of that. 
90 years old, no problem. The Bible says that she was past her childbearing years. In the book of Hebrews, it says Abraham was as good as dead. She says, don't worry, I'll take care of Abraham. I'll take care of Sarah. Boom, it's done. I'm going to leave a blessing on this home. Every time we go out of our home without spending time with the Lord, we lose out on a blessing that could have come upon our lives. Every time we go out, we leave the Lord standing there in front of our tent, just standing there, waiting for us to invite Him in. We go, Lord, I'm kind of busy today. I'll catch you tomorrow. And He's just standing there. And we go. This is what I'm talking about. It's a relationship. And if you do not know the Lord, don't leave the Lord standing there. The Lord is here today urging you to come to Him. Come to Him this day. Come to Jesus this day. I'm going to pray. And if you have never invited Jesus into your heart, today, this is your day. You pray with me to invite Jesus into your heart. Do that this day. Do that this day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, oh Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. I pray, oh Lord, for the unbelievers that are here this day, that today they would pray this prayer along with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. Come into my life. I believe Jesus is Lord. And I believe He has risen from the dead. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me of my sins. And fill me with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray for the believers this day that you get a hold of their hearts that this day they would commit to never leaving you standing before them, that they would always invite you in to have a time of fellowship with you and that you would bless them as a result. Lord, get a hold of their hearts this day. Let them remember this message of Abraham. And Lord, I pray that you would make them into gracious and giving people gracious and giving people like Abraham to give of that which they have for others. Father, I pray your blessing to be upon them. And I commit this to you. Oh, Lord Jesus, I commit it to you for your glory, for your glory, that these would be like a crown and a jewel coming to you for your glory, all for the glory of Jesus Christ, all for his glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.